And I hope you got a sermon outline when you came in. Please take that out. And if you're online with us, you go to our website and you go to the order of worship and you can download the sermon outline as well. And that may be helpful for you as we uh, open God's Word together. To Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 11 through 14. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. So far, then, the reading of God's Word. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Some of you learned that for years and years. Where do we know that? It's from the Apostles' Creed that we spoke just a few minutes ago in this service. And I think it's so interesting to ask the question, why is it in maybe the most important creedal statement passed down through the centuries and recited around the world that we remember this guy, Pontius Pilate, and that Jesus suffered under him? Who was he? Why is his name prominent in all four Gospels? Pontius Pilate sent by the Emperor Tiberius in A.D. 27 to this remote outpost of the Roman Empire, the least desirable of all the posts. So we are told, who does he represent? R.C. Sproul commenting on this, he says that the story is recorded in all four Gospels because Pontius Pilate represents all of humanity the secular man who judges Jesus Christ. In our text, in the end of Matthew, suddenly Matthew slows down. This book, it slows down, and it now will take us several weeks, six weeks at least, to work through the last day of the earthly life of Jesus. And it is intense, and it's actually painful as we see what happens to our Savior on this day. We've already seen the church trial, the religious trial, before the Sanhedrin and the religious rulers. Now we come to the civil trial of Jesus on this night. And now the dawn breaks. 
And these events no longer take place under the cloak of darkness. You'll remember that the church leaders, they, they hurried through in the dark of night to convict Jesus uh, of uh, crimes worthy of death. Now they bring him to the Roman authorities, to the civil trial uh, before him. And it's so interesting. In John's gospel, we're told that the Sanhedrin binds up Jesus. They, they've beaten him. They've spit on him. They drag him to the house of Pilate. But in order to preserve their ceremonial cleanliness, we're told explicitly they would not enter the house of Pilate lest they become ceremonially unclean. And they are concerned about their religious purity while they engage in the most vile act in the history of humanity. So now the trials of Jesus resume. He paused just to say, oh, and let me tell you what happened to Peter. And let me tell you what happened to Judas. And we studied that the last few weeks. But now the trial resumes. And we need to get a few things clear. You see them in your outline. And the first thing is this, that Jesus is not guilty. Do you know this? Do your children know this? Jesus is not a sinner, and Jesus is not a threat. Pontius Pilate has been probing and listening to the accusations and, and uh, the responses of the people that brought Jesus to him. He's looking at Jesus as hard as he can to figure out what's going on. He plies him with quack questions. And at the end, next week, we'll see, at the end of all this, when the crowd is crying out, crucify him, crucify him, Pontius Pilate asks this question, why? What evil has he done? That's in Matthew's account. We'll see that next week. And in John's account, finally, when it's said and done, what we read in the, in the Scripture reading earlier is that he goes out and he says, I find no guilt in him. Why does he find no guilt? You know the answer, don't you? Because there is none. Now, this is strange, perhaps, for you and me, because ever since the day of our birth, none of us has ever known a day where we have not encountered someone who was a sinner, and we ourselves have had to experience our own sin in our own hearts. But Pontius Pilate, in making these two statements, says more than he knows, because the testimony of Holy Scripture again and again is that Jesus Christ, God the Son, was sinless. And we love that passage in Hebrews 4, verse 16, 15, that says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Oh, friends, you could turn the spotlight on my soul, and you would not need to look very far or very hard before you discovered pride and selfishness and unbelief, impulses that are not glorifying to God. You would not need to look far. 
But you can examine the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is not a sinner, nor is he a threat. And it's really interesting because when Pilate gets a little nervous about all this talk about kingship, Jesus says to him, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered from the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Those are the words of Jesus. And Pilate, relax. I'm not a threat to you. You don't understand. I've been preaching. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is intruding onto this earth. And I am coming to capture not people of particular nations, but people from every tribe and every nation, and to conquer their hearts. And Pilate, far from being a threat, there will emerge from a relationship with me a new humanity filled with men and women and children of faith and hope and love. And blessing will follow wherever they go. But we also see that his opponents are relentless. They are relentless. And they said in John 18, verse 30, when Pilate says, Why are you bringing this guy to me? And, and, Pilate, and, and Jesus, Pilate says, Do you... Um, he says, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Jesus is evil. And there will always be people who will say Jesus is evil. But he's not. He's not a sinner. He's not a threat. Now, the next thing you need to get clear, this is point number two in our text, is that Jesus is king of the Jews. And this is very important. Verse 11 now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. And you remember for our, from our discussion of several, several weeks back that when Jesus answered the Sanhedrin like that, he is not being ambiguous. This is not, uh, he's not trying to hedge anything. He's saying, you said it with your own lips, and in the ancient world, that's the way you would affirm it. You said it from your own lips. But again, Pilate is talking about more than he knows. Because here Jesus is accurately re uh, revealing himself as the son of David and the son of Abraham. We're almost at the end of the book. Does anybody remember the first verse of the Gospel of Matthew? It goes like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. First verse of the book. He is David's son. What's the big deal about being David's son? It is that David was the great king, the greatest of the kings of Israel, and God made a covenant with David when he sent Nathan the prophet. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Nathan the prophet comes from God to David and he says, and your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever and ever before me. 
your throne shall be established forever. Now, who will establish the throne of David forever on behalf of God? And you know the answer, don't you? It will be this one that Pontius Pilate asks, are you a king? And Jesus said, you have said so. And then he's the son of Abraham. Who is Abraham? Do you remember Abraham? Abraham is the father of the Jews. Every Jew knows to speak of Father Abraham and all the sons that have come through Father Abraham. And God made a covenant with Abraham, and we are told in Genesis 12, in Genesis 28, we are told that um, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham, through the Jewish people who come from your loins. And so it is in Jesus Christ, the King, that nations are brought to Him and He transforms them and blessing flows wherever the name of Jesus is known. Do you see, my friends? Jesus has been beaten. He stands bound in chains before Pontius Pilate. He is utterly humiliated. And yet, in this moment, he reveals himself in all his royal authority. For the Bible will tell us that in a few days he will rise from the dead. He will ascend to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And on his uh, thigh is written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Handel's Messiah, you've heard it, is sung. And he shall reign forever and ever. Pontius Pilate didn't quite get it. Do you? Does Pontius Pilate bow in humble adoration before the king? No. As we come to point number three, if you turn over your sermon outline, what we see is that Pilate doesn't want to deal with this at all. He's actually annoyed if you read through all four of the Gospels, which we didn't take the time to do, you see he's actually annoyed that he has to deal early in the morning with this theological dispute. Pontius Pilate, some of you know what I'm talking about, was a company man for the Romans. He was just about taking care of business for the Romans. And he does not want to decide about Jesus. We'll see more of this next week. But this indifference, this upset that he has about Jesus may be what you have experienced. Or it may be that as we look at Pontius Pilate and we see him indifferent to Jesus or too busy to deal with Jesus, or as we see him... Um, threatened by the claim of royal authority of Jesus, or if we see Pilate's cynical, philosophical objection to the truth claims of Jesus, maybe you see yourself, or maybe someone you love 
is pictured there. And I'm, I'm saying all these things because I want to give you categories to understand how people react to Jesus Christ and how, in fact, Pontius Pilate is the persona publicus. He is the person of the public representing humanity in their inability to embrace Jesus Christ. And if you just think about this, he really is very indifferent. He is like what we call today the nuns. Nuns? I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic nuns who dress up in the habits. No, that, that's spelled N-U-N-S. I'm talking about the N-O-N-E-S. Who are the nuns? Well, those of you who travel in statistics, you know that in the U.S. 2020 census, they checked out people's religious preferences in the United States of America. And we discover from that census that about 6% of the American population declare themselves to be atheists, 5% declare themselves to be agnostic, and about 21% check off what is called no particular preference regarding religion. That's about 30% of American population, and I would guess that that's significantly higher on Long Island. And these are the people who just simply say, I don't care. Actually, the atheists do care, and they're quite objectionable. And in a, in a study I read this week, it was really interesting, one common dom denominator among many of the nuns is that their parents have money, and their parents give them money. If you're, if you're um, somebody born into a family where your parents share uh, a lot of money with you, you tend not to be religious. Isn't that interesting? Why is that, do you think? Yeah, it's because if you have money, you don't need God. So, so people are indifferent. But then you come to uh, people who are just so busy and the historians tell us that Pontius Pilate was not the, the sharpest tool in the toolbox. Josephus and Philo, they, they explained to us that he stumbled and made a mess of things for the Jews. The Jews did not like him. He did not like the Jews. And he's always cleaning up messes. He's so busy with his governance. And this, I don't have time to deal with this. In fact, in John's Gospel, he says, go deal with this yourselves busyness. I don't need to explain this to people on Long Island, do I? Because most of you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the ground running, and you go through the day, and you've got people to see, and places to go, and children to care for, and to keep alive, and, and, and your boss has so much for you to do, and your employees aren't doing what they need to be doing, and you're just so frustrated. You're busy until your head hits the pillow in exhaustion at night. You've ever heard the term rat race? We Long Islanders, we understand the rat race. Have you ever seen a hamster on a hamster wheel? I'm going fast, but I'm getting nowhere fast. I'm just living to pay the bills. Trying to get by. I don't have time for Jesus. Or maybe you're threatened by his kingship, and you know people who may be 
Once the discussion turns to kingship, he's, he's not so ready to dismiss it. Why? Because Jesus claims authority. Whatever this means, I mean, he's obviously not going to overthrow Tiberius, the emperor Tiberius. But there is a little four-year-old inside of every one of us. And that four-year-old has learned how to arch their back and say, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> it's just in the flesh of every four-year-old. We resist anyone's claim to have authority over us. Outside the pubs of Boston in the revolutionary period, they would hang the sign, we serve no sovereign here. Pontius Pilate was threatened by the claim to kingship of Jesus. And then, of course, there's his philosophical objection or his cynical objection. He was the cynic when he said those words, Jesus, you say you came to tell us the truth? What were his next words? What is truth? How very 21st century of Pontius Pilate. How very postmodern of Pontius Pilate. You know, your kid goes off to college and they learn in Philosophy 101 that there is no such thing as objective truth. We just construct our own realities, you see. He's cynical about the nature of truth. Well, point number four. Wake up. Not to decide is to decide. Because at the end, and again we will see this more next week, at the end Pontius Pilate is so frustrated and when they are crying out for Jesus to be crucified, he takes a bowl of water and what does he do? He washes his hands. He says, I'm washing my hands of this. I'm done with it. I'm not going to decide. But not to decide is to decide. He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See it to, you, your, see to it yourselves. Oh, my friends, how many people do you know who want to wash their hands of Jesus? Some of you grew up in Christian homes, and I've, I've talked to some of you. And one of the great heartbreaks of your lives is that you have siblings, you have brothers or sisters, and, and your parents did the best they could to, to teach you all to walk with Jesus, and by God's grace, you're walking with Jesus, but your brother is not. Your sister is dismissive. Your nephews, your nieces, your parents, they're one of those previous categories. And it breaks your heart, and you look at them, and you see often they make a mess of their lives, and you ache for them. Or maybe this describes you. You, for some reason, your wife made you come, or your husband made you come, or your dad made you come, but you, you would much prefer to wash your hands of Jesus. And I want to say to you today, don't wash your hands of Jesus. Let him wash you. 
You say, where in this text does it say that Jesus wants to wash me? Where do you see that we can be cleansed in the blood of the cross in this text? And the answer is, in his silence. In his silence. Because Isaiah 53, verse 7, hundreds of years before, speaks of the suffering servant. It speaks of the Messiah to come. And we read, he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And as Matthew recorded it, yes, Jesus had conversation with Pontius Pilate, but when it came to the accusations of his oppressing accusers, Jesus didn't dignify them with an answer. He did not respond. And this is important for you to know. Jesus could have just said a few words and he'd be off the hook, right? Pilate is trying his best to get Jesus off the hook. I find no fault in him. Why are you saying crucify him? But Jesus is silent. And do you know why? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane that we studied several weeks ago, Jesus put that matter to rest. He talked to the Father about being delivered from the cup, and he came away and he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And now he is resolute, and he will do nothing that will stop him from going to the cross where you and I are washed in the blood of the Lamb, slain for us. And so he is silent, so that his mission will be accomplished. Do you get that? Do you celebrate that? Oh, my friends, this is the strategy of Jesus, that he may come and be our Savior. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, there's this magnificent statement where the, the, the multitudes are worshiping the Lord, and they cry out with a loud voice, Revelation 7, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain, right? And then he's asked. So here he sees all these, this choir of heaven singing, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb, and then he's asked, who are these people singing? Clothed in white robes. Where have they come from? And John said, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He came to wash us. Do you celebrate that? Oh, my friends, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Or do you still carry the stains and the filth of your own sins with you? Do you assume that somehow you can clean yourself up before a holy God? When Jesus was silent before his accusers, that he may go to the cross for you, and for me, oh, let him wash you. Yes, Jesus was silent to his accusers. But he's not silent to you. Have you heard the voice of the Lord? 
In this text, every, Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Are you at that place in your life where you are willing to listen to Jesus? And you have to be willing to listen to Jesus because the voices of the world are so loud. And we need to open His Word. We need to let His voice come through the din of the world around us. And we hear Him say, I speak to you the truth. And then He says, come to me. Matthew tells us again and again, the Lord Jesus Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Listen. Come. When you say out loud in this church, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, say it with joy, knowing that not only did he die on the cross for you, but his struggle in Gethsemane was for you. The beatings that he took were for you. The crown of thorns pressed on his head was for you. The humiliation and the spitting and the mocking and the slander and the shame he all took for you so that you could be clean before the Father. Suffered under Pontius Pilate for you. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, our Father, We marvel when we consider how Jesus gave himself for us. Though he was utterly humiliated, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And today, we would celebrate our royal king. And we pray, our Father, that each of us, help me, start with me, each of us would be given the conviction of the Holy Spirit to bow, to listen, and to come to Him. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Oh, what a terrible price, but what a glorious price you paid for our salvation, and we are grateful. So we join the heavenly choirs and say, salvation to the Lamb upon the throne of God, all glory be yours forever and ever. Amen.